Listener Production. In today's briefing, someone who knows a lot about the PM, a voice you know and love. People might mock him, you know, washing hair and things like this, but I've travelled with a lot of Prime Ministers and opposition leaders on the road and he's actually incredible at that one-on-one chatting with people and I think he might be able to narrow this gap. Annika Smethurst is our briefing guest, uh, Scott Morrison. It's a very rough patch, just three months out from an election. We get Annika's prediction and a very savvy analysis. Has the accidental Prime Minister run out of luck? It is Tuesday, the 15th of February. I'm Katrina Blowers. And I'm Tom Tilley. The Prime Minister has been slammed for yesterday's message to the stolen generations. Sorry for the cold laws that broke apart families. Sorry for the brutalities that were masked even under the guise of protection and even compassion. So speaking in Parliament, that message marked the 14th anniversary of Kevin Rudd's apology to the stolen generations. And as you can hear, it started off quite good, but it was this sentiment that angered many people. Sorry is not the hardest word to say. The hardest is I forgive you. So the reactions, the Victorian First Peoples Assembly put out a statement saying, quote unquote, get in the bin. Now that's a group responsible for negotiating a treaty with the Victorian government. Marcia Langdon, respected academic and former Northern Territory Assistant Commissioner on the inquiry into the Stolen Generation said, with all due respect to the Prime Minister and his Christian belief in forgiveness, for people who've been traumatised, it's very damaging to them to be told how to behave. She gave that statement to The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. Mm, and Green Senator Lydia Thorpe wrote, how dare you ask for forgiveness when you still perpetuate racist policies? Yeah, he's really copying it here, the Prime Minister. I think I understand the point he was trying to make, that forgiveness from the aggrieved and the traumatised parties takes a lot more generosity, strength and courage than the ancestors of the perpetrators admitting the policies were bad. But Mm. it sounded like he was telling those people what to do. And it also sounded like he was trying to one-up Kevin Rudd's apology, you know, diminishing how hard it was to say sorry because it was seemingly impossible for the former Liberal Prime Minister, John Howard. I think it also ignores the ripple effect that even though, yes, it was uh, something perpetrated against the ancestors of the current generation, that ripple effect lives on. It's also Mm. not the role of the person apologising to tell the Mm. people that they're apologising to how they should behave. Forgiveness should be given freely. And there's been a sensational day of evidence in the Ben Robert Smith defamation case. The war veteran's estranged wife took the stand and spoke about the day she found out about his affair, telling the court when she met her husband's mistress, the woman was wearing large sunglasses covering a black eye. Yeah, so Emma Roberts also said Robert Smith told her to lie about his affair to the media or they would lose their children. Yeah, so this is all part of the defamation case where Ben Robert Smith is suing a number of nine newspapers over stories published in 2018, which he says contained false allegations of illegal killings in Afghanistan and bullying. Three women who were allegedly sexually harassed by former High Court Judge Dyson Hayden will receive a compensation payout. It's the first time a settlement's been reached for findings of sexual harassment against a serving federal judge. Uh, The Attorney-General announced the payout along with the apology to the three women, as well as to three other unnamed women. 
Five out of the six had worked for Justice Hayden. Now, their lawyer said the women weren't able to pursue the legal careers that they'd once aspired to because of that harassment. Yeah, and the amount of compensation hasn't been disclosed. Former NRL superstar Jared Hayne could be about to walk out of jail. His sexual assault conviction was overturned on appeal yesterday and he's expected to be granted bail ahead of a possible retrial. Now, if that trial happens, that retrial, it will be the third trial after the first trial had a hung jury. The former NRL player was convicted in May of two counts of sexual assault in Newcastle on the night of the 2018 grand final. He had been sentenced to a minimum of three years and eight months behind bars. He's served nine months of that sentence so far. A 15-year-old Russian figure skater who tested positive for a banned substance has been given the green light to compete today. The Court of Arbitration for Sport ruled that because Camilla Valieva is a minor, normal sanctions couldn't be applied. So they're allowing her to compete, but if she medals, the ceremony will be postponed and a final decision will be made Mm. by the International Testing Agency, which could come after the Games close. I can understand why they've done it, but what a strange decision. And sadly, Australia has missed out on getting a medal in the women's aerials. Laura Peel ending her campaign in fifth place. So close. Uh, Danielle Scott in 10th. There have been really high hopes for Peel because she's a two-time world champion. So she had a really good chance of a medal, but Mm. um, a gust of wind... (laughs) Um, got in the way of that dream, unfortunately. So she um, had a crash landing. But fifth is still amazing, right? Absolutely. I'm hanging for the women's downhill skiing event, but they had to postpone the training because it actually snowed on the fake snow. Yeah, this is the weird thing. So I I only became aware of this the other day that there was no real snow in this particular spot that Mm. they're hosting the Winter Games, which strikes me as kind of bizarre. But apparently some of the events do better on fake snow than they do on the real stuff because the real stuff's just way too powdery. Well, it stays more consistent throughout the whole event. So if you're gunning around those gates in downhill skiing and, you know, 30 other skis have gone down before and rutted out the turns, it makes it a lot harder. But apparently the fake snow holds its form better. So a lot of people prefer to compete on it. So, Mm. yeah, I'll be hanging out for that one. In just a moment, going deep on ScoMo with Annika Smith-Hurst. are on Scott Morrison as his polling slumps to the same level it was when he took the job back in 2018. Yeah, but he pulled it back last time, even without a ukulele. So can (laughs) he do it again? I have always believed in miracles. These are the quiet Australians who have won a great victory tonight. There are some pretty big differences between that moment in 2019 and the challenge he's facing now. There were the Black Saturday bushfires, the pandemic, the women's issues personified by Grace Tame's side eye and some high profile character assassinations via text from his colleagues. So this time around, Scott Morrison's selling his message in a very different context. And it does appear, according to the polling, that at least some of those quiet Australians have turned their backs on him. Annika Smethurst has always said that one of his biggest strengths is that people underestimate him. So will that hold true? Um, She wrote literally the book on ScoMo called The Accidental Prime Minister. 
And we're going to get it back onto the briefing a lot more often in the next few months as we get closer to the election. Annika, we're all so used to hearing your voice on this podcast. We don't get to hear it as much as we'd like to these days. Uh, That's because you are enjoying life as a new mum. How's it all going? Yeah, it's pretty good. Different pace, I must admit, not getting up for the podcast, more getting up to a crying baby, but it's lovely. Uh, She'll be three months old next week and it's a real privilege. It's true. They do change so much. They do grow so much. It's something kind of really appreciated from afar, but yeah, really enjoying it. Thanks, Katrina. Oh, that's wonderful. Now let's get to a topic that uh, has strangely become very close to your heart. That is of Scott Morrison. Um, You have done a huge deep dive on who he is, on his character in your book, The Accidental Prime Minister. So tell us What's your assessment right now? Do you think he can win another election? Look, they're in a really dire position. This is exactly what the news poll said. It's 55-45. Translates to about a 6% swing against the coalition. That's based on the 2019 result. And that would be, if it was uniform across Australia, 22 seats roughly lost. I do think there's other factors at play. Even Scott Morrison, who is an absolute master campaigner, people might mock him, you know, washing hair and things like this, but I've travelled with a lot of prime ministers and opposition leaders on the road and he's actually incredible at that sort of, you know, one-on-one chatting with people and I think he might be able to narrow this gap, but at this stage it's not looking great for the coalition in terms of winning. Wouldn't put it past him, but he's really up against it this time. Now, when I see him sort of making mistakes, I have the words of your book echoing in my head about who he really is and his strengths and weaknesses. And two of the biggest things I took out of your book uh, was one, as we discussed at the time, his ability to handle conflict and his ability to not be liked all the time. And he seemed to be very strategic in who he pissed off. The other thing was being very tapped into where voters were at, partly through research, partly through intuition. Now, I wonder, Annika, if you think those things are now coming back to bite him, I'll give you a few examples. In terms of his ability to um, withstand conflict and piss people off, the recent text messages from people who are supposed to be close to him, like the New South Wales Liberal former Premier or Barnaby Joyce, the Deputy Prime Minister, the fact that these people that close to him don't like him suggests to me that he's had one too many of those conflicts and that list of people that he's pissed off is catching up with him. And then in terms of the sort of ability to read the electorate with the religious discrimination bill, I see that all going so badly as coming back to the beginning of that where he made this calculation in in the lead up to the last election that he could win over lots of Christians who felt slighted by the, the gay marriage plebiscite or the Israel Folau story, but he promised them something that he really didn't think through. He didn't really realise how divisive it would eventually be, especially to say in a city Liberal's worried about their, their seats being taken by more progressive independents. So do you think those those traits of, of conflict, but also political opportunism or reading the political tea leaves are coming back to bite him? Yeah, a little bit. I definitely think you're right about the religious freedoms bill. He did promise it and he's been unable to deliver it. And I think a lot of the time he does go out and say whatever it is to get him through the day. And that mm. is sort of representative in the hairdressing and washing someone's hair. He just does what he can on the day 
he does it when he speaks. He will promise things that seem good and appealing that will make him win the news, which is a real thing in Canberra. It's who won the day. This is how political parties talk. He's happy to do that, but it's very hard to be consistent and those things do come back and bite you. In terms of, um, you know, the Barnaby Joyce text messages and obviously Gladys Berejiklian, I think for people that are in Canberra in the so-called bubble, they know that actually your biggest enemies are in your own party and all of them hate each other. (laughs) That's a pretty big generalisation. But the way, you know, when you do go and have a private dinner with a politician, the way they talk about people on their own side is often more brutal than they talk about the other side. So it didn't surprise me, I guess, Mm -hmm. so much that this is being said about him. But I think the problem is that when it spills over into the public, the public don't expect that. They expect them all to be part of one team. And as you say, if, you know, this is how people that know him, know him well, talk about him. Why should we trust him? If, you know, Barnaby Joyce, who sat around a cabinet table for many years with him, feels this way about him. So I guess it didn't surprise me, but that's a different scenario when it comes to voting. Well, one of the things that Scott Morrison has always said is that he's had the support of quiet Australians, the mums and dads. What do you make of uh, the by-elections over the weekend, in particular in Bega, where a lot of those so-called quiet Australians live? It's heavy with retirees and, and that demographic that has always swung behind Scott Morrison. But over the weekend, they kind of voted pretty differently. Usually I love reading interstate results and, and making big claims for the federal election. I think by-elections are different. I think the fact there was four elections, I think the fact a popular local member there was stepping down, it's probably hard to make big calls about it federally. Having said that, I think that coupled with the news poll result will worry a lot of MPs, especially in New South Wales at the moment. And if you look at that news poll result, that sort of indicates a 20-seat loss. So there's going to be 20 at least very nervous MPs going, I could lose my job in the coming months. Is Scott Morrison the right person to take us there? Now, most of them do agree when you talk to him that he is better on the ground. You know, he's not necessarily the best in Canberra, but he's great when he's out campaigning and meeting people. And I tend to agree with that. It does go to his understanding of quiet Australians. Now, I don't know how many people watched an interview with him that Carl Stefanovic did on Sunday night. I loved it. I do think it will have hit a lot of notes um, for those people he does usually talk to rolling out the family. Um, Australia does still have some very conservative elements, and I don't mean that in terms of conservative voting. I mean, people that speak to him, you you saw it in Four Corners recently when they're asked to describe Scott Morrison, they say he's a family man. And they do like this about him. And it's something that um, at the last election, it was Bill Shorten perhaps being the first person who's been divorced that would end up in the lodge and it didn't happen. Now, I'm not saying that's why it didn't happen, but I think there is an underlying current in Australia where we um, there is a lot of people that still really like those family values, the fact he goes to church, the fact he's got two kids and, and a wife, and they like that. There is a little bit of talk about a leadership challenge before the election. I'd probably say they won't do it because they still think that given the chance when he's out on the road talking to these people, he's pretty good at it. So the 60 Minutes piece was really interesting and we were debating off air about who actually watches that and are they the sort of people who will actually change their mind, any real swinging voters? And I think, as you point out, the people that don't like him wouldn't be swayed by that, but they also probably 
don't watch 60 Minutes normally. They only tuned in because this had a bit of controversy around it and a fantastic promo and some ridiculous Carl Stefanovic moments. <laughs> um, but in the middle there, do you think there were quiet Australians that switched off him in recent times and does something like that bring them back? Yeah, I do. And look, if you um, look at the news poll results, we talk about something called primary vote. And at the moment, the coalition's primary vote is 34% and Labor's 40 So that means how many people would put a one next to the major parties. That accounts for about 75%. There are still 25% of people that are looking at independence, either aren't decided and using that as a protest vote before the election. And as it gets closer, they will decide. And, you know, elections aren't decided by the very right who will always vote for the coalition and the very left that will always vote for Labor or the Greens. They're actually decided by people that look at it each time and decide where they put a vote, the swinging voters. But I do still think a lot of as he would call, quiet Australians would be watching that and I don't know if they were impressed by it or not, but that's who he was talking to, you know. That's why he did choose to do that program. Now, they're going to do one on Anthony Albanese also. He would also know the power of that undecided voter. And there's big talk about the independence at this election that was at the last election. They never sort of get the amazing numbers as we go closer to the election. Those people that say, I'm angry, I'm going to vote for independence, often don't as we get closer to polling day, which means their votes are up for grabs. So whilst the polls are pretty bad for Scott Morrison at the moment, there is ground to be made. It's whether he can make up enough ground to win. You just mentioned Anthony Albanese. I think anyone who's kind of watched him over the last six months has noticed he's had a bit of an image overhaul. Do you (laughs) think he's prime ministerial enough to be a viable alternative in voters' minds? Look, the thing about elections, and we always say this, is oppositions aren't voted in, governments are voted out. People get jacked by the current government. And that's working against the coalition. They've been in for nearly 10 years. You saw it work against the Howard government. Rudd and Gillard, people were sort of done with that at the time. It's less about how Elbow's looking. He's definitely looking sharper. Someone used to describe him, who I worked with, as being like the local butcher. I don't think he looks like that anymore. He's got some good fitting suits and, you know, the sharp specs, which you've also seen Morrison sort of do if you go back and look at pictures of him a few years ago. So it's less about whether he's electable and whether people are willing to throw out the current mob. He's looking better. I do think he's got some challenges. One of them is he's recently divorced. He doesn't have that family unit around him, which um, shouldn't matter in this day and age, but it is something that people do identify with Scott Morrison as a positive. So he has to counter that. He does have a new lady friend and it'll be interesting to see if he rolls her out Mm -hmm. for the interviews, I think. So he is a sort of, I guess, a liked character in Australian politics. Whether he's prime ministerial, I think that is a big step up. But when you look at the last election, Bill Shorten was on the nose for everybody. A lot of Labor MPs told me that they were standing there handing out how to vote cards and people said, look, I want to vote for you, but I just don't like that Bill Shorten. It shouldn't be a presidential situation. You're meant to vote for your local member that goes to Canberra, but increasingly it is. And that has in the past worked to Scott Morrison's advantage. I think Labor have picked up on this a lot now. Um, It's one of the reasons they got rid of Bill Shorten and put in somebody that's meant to be more likeable in Anthony Albanese. So it'll be a bit tougher for him in in some aspects, but he's done the right things to get himself election ready for a May election, that's for sure. All right. So to sum it up, you're saying he probably won't win, but he still has a chance. 
Scott Morrison. He still has a chance. He's better on the ground and I don't think it'll be as dire as it's looking in the current polls. He's got ground to make up and he probably will get close and, and save some of those his colleagues, but uh, I don't know whether he'll get there at this stage. That was Annika Smethurst. And I think one of the other big differences, Katrina, this time around compared to 2018-19 is the way the opposition are handling themselves. Last time, Bill Shorten put up so many policy ideas which gave mm. the coalition so many opportunities to shoot him down. This time, Anthony Albanese has promised nothing. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think what Annika said about people don't elect oppositions, they they throw governments out, was such a salient point. Anthony Albanese just needs to stay a small target and, and not do anything wrong, I guess, to have the best shot at this. Just be a good bloke, which is actually is probably one of his strengths. (laughs) Tomorrow on The Briefing, how Chinese social media is responding to the Winter Olympics. Listener.